Hello, writers. I'm Britt Three, and you're listening to College Writing Actually, where we talk about the how-to and how-come of writing and writing instruction. Here for you every other Wednesday when school's in session. If you have been served by this free resource and you're able, decide to become a monthly subscriber. For as little as $1, you can support the work of College Writing Actually. If you don't want a long-term commitment, you can offer a one-time donation. Also, simply click the link in the description to show your appreciation for this podcast work. All right, today we are joined by Lucy. Lucy, say your last name. McInerney. Lucy <laughs> McInerney, an associate at the Brown University Writing Center and graduate proctor for Brown's Sheridan Center for Teaching and Learning. She's a she's in her final year. I see. Final year PhD. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> she's a final year. PhD candidate in classics, currently writing her dissertation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucy. Thank you for having me, Britt. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So Lucy's going to join me in talking about some common writing mistakes you can avoid this semester. And as usual, I shall be your proxy. So writers, you already know this is gonna wanna this is gonna be one of those episodes where you wanna have a pen and paper handy to write down these gems about common writing mistakes to avoid. You ready? Do you have it? Pen, paper? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Here we go. Lucy, take us away. <laughs> All right, thank you. Um Yeah, so basically, I think that there are two different categories of common writing mistakes that we should probably talk about today. So we can use two different pieces of paper for this, two different really large brand sticky notes. Um, The first one is something like maybe mechanical mistakes, the type of sentence or word level choice that we all make, but that doesn't quite translate to the reader. And these are the types of mistakes that are likely to earn you a question mark in the margins of a paper or that dreaded comment of awkward from your <sighs> professor, which sidebar I think is the most rude thing ever, and I have a against it. <laughs> um, and these are mistakes that are definitely important, and I'm happy to talk through some of the co- most common ones that I see. But they're also less important, and I think less interesting than what you might call the kind of psychological mistakes that a lot of writers are prone to making. Mm, that's where it gets really interesting: the higher order concerns. Yes, indeed. Um, Yeah, so in writing centers, we talk about higher and lower order concerns. Um, Lower order concerns are these things like spelling and grammar. And then higher order concerns are the things like clear argumentation, like logical organization and awareness of your audience. And the mistakes that usually impact those higher order concerns often have a lot to do with the writing that happens before pen hits paper or before finger hits keyboard. (laughs) Whichever. If you have a typewriter, that too. So once we hit those, there's no going back. So let's start with the lower order concerns because they're easier to address. Yeah. So these are, these are definitely the, the sort of meat and potatoes of most people's editing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of the things that, that I, that I think about as, as tips to avoid actually involve unlearning things that you've already been taught. Mm. So for instance, I remember um, in high school always being told that you shouldn't write the way that you speak. Mm-hmm. And you know, to a point that's true. So I, I don't typically use contractions, for instance, in my writing. Mm-hmm. So I'll write not instead of don't, you know, for an academic paper at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't write things like, I really vibe with this poem. Um, 
but that's usually the core idea, right? So there's distinguishing between sort of colloquial language and vocabulary and um, something that's a little bit of a higher register. But with that said, a lot of writers swing way too far in the other direction and they'll end up using language that just doesn't feel natural to them. So a really good example of that is jargon of, of any sort, really. Um, jargon that's being used incorrectly or in a situation that doesn't really warrant it. And for the most part, I think it's actually a good idea to question whether you need jargon at all. So this is um, this is not something that I think only undergraduate writers do. I think writers across the board do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will share that I was rereading a draft of my own dissertation that I wrote this summer recently, um, happily editing away with my hot pink pen. Um, and I got to a point where I used the phrase hermeneutic technique. And I had absolutely no idea what I meant. Current Lucy had no idea what Lucy of six months ago meant by that. Mm. So this is a really good example of sometimes you're you're kind of in the moment and you're trying to really reach for that higher register of language mm. and you use something that sounds really good, but maybe you don't quite actually know what it means. Mm. And so if you can't use language that you aren't comfortable using in your speech, it may not belong in your writing. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's my... That's my first tip is to avoid avoid language that doesn't feel natural to you. Um, my next sort of mechanical tip is um, another 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 ignore piece of advice. So ignore the advice to not use the B verbs. Mm, please, please, yeah. please, please get into it. I have been terrorized by this piece of advice. I, yes. So I remember being in high school again. Um, and I feel like I should say I actually loved my high school English teacher. She was wonderful. Um, so it's not her fault that she had all these little tips and tricks that I now hate. <laughs> um, but I remember being told to take a highlighter and highlight every single form of the verb to be that I had used in a paper. So just to review, that's am, are, is, was, were, be, being, been. Oh my gosh. All of them. And then I had to replace, we all had to replace every single one of those B verbs with an active verb. So this is what takes you in high school from, you know, Shakespeare was born in 1546. I don't know when he was born. It was around then. Um, To, you know, Shakespeare was born in 1546 and is considered a great playwright. To something like born in 1546, Shakespeare would enjoy the... uh, delight of being a wonderful playwright gag right so it's active that's an active sentence (laughs) but you tend to if you avoid something if there's a rule like this you have to avoid these words you create all these other problems yeah yeah and you create that convoluted style of writing in circles yeah so you know i do think that writing should be active and powerful in in many ways when it can be but if you don't use be verbs at all, you end up writing in this extremely bizarre way. Yeah. And right. then again, of course, like as soon as as soon as I as soon as I hear you say that, I'm just like, and what about the way the B verb functions in African American language? Like it's right. very important. <laughs> it doesn't make sense if you yeah. can't say it. It doesn't make exactly. sense. 
And it there's, you know, baked into that is that idea that academic language is a certain style of writing that has all of these sort of unspoken rules about it. And in reality, if you have a good, solid thesis statement and your reader understands the way that you are arguing, then you're a good writer. Period. You know, that's it. So these these little rules, especially when they get into how you are and are not allowed to use language, your own language, mm-hmm. those ones. Yeah, they and they they get so, they they very quickly get very Western and very repressive to other yeah. cultures and languages. All of it, like it's it's very quick. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, one of the one of the other, you know, this is a positive tip, but when you encounter rules like this, I think there's a a great opportunity to question mm-hmm. and to learn more about sort of, you know, tropes of language and the way that we use language. But, you know, especially if you're thinking about if you are an ESL student and you're encountering rules like this without any kind of explanation behind them, again, you're being set up to to write in a very stilted fashion and not actually understand the language that you're using, which is just unfair across the board. It's a setup. Yeah, it's a setup, exactly. <laughs> um, that said, I do think that everybody tends to pick up their own sort of quirks in writing um, and maybe maybe bad habits, if you want to use that phrase. Mm. So I, for instance... <clears throat> Excuse me. I, for instance, am um, constantly overusing adverbs. All right. So if I do that technique of taking a highlighter and I go back over something that I have just written, there's probably going to be, I don't know, eight or nine adverbs, L-Y verbs on a single page because I'm always saying something is really this or surely, you know, or seemingly whatever it is. I, I always feel like I have to couch my my nouns and this, you know, extra language around them. So what I have learned is, having been told by, you know, previous English teachers that I use many adverbs, that if I try and catch them as I go, I just get stuck. So I write the way I write. And then I go back afterwards and I get rid of them all. So there are these little sort of habits that you'll find yourself developing as a writer and you don't necessarily have to think, oh, I can never do this, but you can notice it, notice the critiques or the feedback that you get on your writing and build that into your your revision process. Yeah, that's such a good tip because the truth is drafting is a part of the writing process and editing is a part of the writing process. Let them be separate. If you try to edit while you're drafting, you'll forever be drafting. It doesn't give you a sense of the full work anyway. You're always on that one sentence or this sentence over here, but you're not able to see the full paper because you can't finish it because you're editing it at the same time. It's a really good way to get lost in the details. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also, this is why things like, so there are other sort of mechanical concerns, like for instance, the run-on sentence, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if if, that, if your brain works in run-on sentences, then draft in run-on sentences. Right. And then make sure that you have the time later on to read out loud. And when you run out of breath in the middle of a sentence, then you say, oh, you know what, maybe I should chop this up into two sentences. Right. But if you're constantly trying to catch your natural modes of writing and thinking, before it gets onto the page, then you're 
your progress is going to become so slow and you get so stuck so quickly. Right, right, right. And that's sort of where we start to get into some of those bigger psychological, higher order level of concerns. Yes. So let's go there. So writers, make sure that you have your lower order concerns straight. The common ones that we went over, awkward voice, incorrect words usage, over or under using to be verbs and adverbs. What I want you to remember about lower order concerns is one, they're pretty easy to fix in editing and on the reread. And two, if they don't disturb your reader's understanding, don't lose sleep over it, even in the editing process. If you don't have a degree in, in composition or English language, it, it could be tough to feel like you have a mastery over the language enough, whatever your first language is. Um, even if it's English, it can feel hard. It can be hard to feel like you know exactly what you're doing and that every single comma splice or whatever has been dealt with. But don't think about it like that. You're trying to communicate. You want to make sure that you're communicating well, that your reader is going to be able to comprehend. So if you're writing, whatever the quirk is, whatever the technically grammatically incorrect thing is, if it doesn't disturb your reader's understanding, don't lose sleep over it. So let's go back to Lucy's example of the, if you think and run on sentences. And I do. <laughs> if you have a four line sentence, yeah, it's probably a run on sentence. It's probably a fused sentence. It may be a comma splice, but I also, as the reader, will likely get confused about the point of the sentence because there's going to be multiple ideas in that sentence or perhaps unnecessary adverbs clunking it up. So if you reread yourself for reader comprehension, then you'll be able to break that four line sentence up into a couple of sentences based off of segmenting the ideas for me to understand it, not based off of you deciding where you want that sentence to end so that it's grammatically correct, yeah. right? So- exactly. If you reread yourself for reader comprehension, the most significant low order concerns will reveal themselves and you can move on. So just keep that in mind. Yes. Don't get too bogged down in the grammar. Focus on reader comprehension. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's that I think is actually a really good segue into, um, yes, a great segue into what I think is one of the most important pieces of advice for that higher order concern, which is don't skip the revision process. Mm. Don't skip that read through. And this sounds, it's easy to say, and it mm. sounds easy, but it's one of the hardest things to build into your writing process because it really is a matter of time management. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I and I I constantly still to this day and probably until the day that I die always underestimate how much time a it takes me to write um physically to put words on a page and b how much time it takes me to revise and the truth is that all of my good writing quote unquote good writing comes from my second or third draft right so when you're thinking about, all right, I have a paper, I have a term paper, I have a semester paper due on, you know, December 10th, and I know that the um, prompt is coming out on, you know, November 10th, and so I've got a whole month, and it really only takes me, like, I don't know, five days to, like, write up a five-page paper. Um, so I really don't need to start writing until, like, a week beforehand, and I'll be fine. That is true. You will be fine. You'll be able to give in your very first draft to your professor 
And that may be all you want to do. That's absolutely fine. But if you really want to create something that you feel proud about and that you don't feel anxiety about giving in, then consider giving yourself an extra like full week where you can set it aside and not think about it and then come back to it and rewrite, revise, right? So editing doesn't just have to be that tiny little nitpicky stuff. It can be that I take this for line sentence and I decide what the four different ideas are and I realize that actually maybe those are two different paragraphs, right? Revising can be this really like thick, chunky process that mm-hmm. creates a lot more writing. Yeah. In a um, good way. Can I just can I just come in yeah. and tangent for a hot second? <laughs> I yeah. just believe writers, I know we talked in the very first episode about the youth of college writing outside of college, specifically Mm -hmm. on TikTok and social media. Now, college writing is relevant beyond social media, obviously. Here's the thing. We are in an ecology that that functions off of grades and assessment and judgment. And you have been trained for your entire collegiate career, your entire academic career, to be in a very transactional mode of, I know that you're coercing me to do what you want me to do, to write how you want me to write by holding this grade over my head. So if I do this, if I give you this, specifically if I give you this the way you want it, you'll give me an A or whatever, right? And that's part of what feels the anxiety. And we recognize that. So we're not even saying that the anxiety that you're feeling is native to you. It has been given to you. And then it has multiplied in your natural natural, um, environment. Work against that. College writing does have a utility outside of college. Unfortunately, it is also true that not every assignment that you're given translates easily to the world. But don't let that stop you from taking the risks and being creative in a way that will develop your writerly voice in a way that will translate. So yes, grades are a thing, but grades don't translate to outer collegiate success. Creativity translates, grit translates, resilience translates, self-efficacy translates. That's what the research shows. The research shows that grades are anything but grades in your very specific collegiate campus, right? You're a very specific environment, but the characteristics of grit, creativity, resilience, self-efficacy, sociological studies have proven that is what makes people successful in the greater world. So your assignments, the way you're writing, the way that you lend yourself to being process-centered and not product-centered, that is what you need time to do. So if you really want to feel like you're not wasting your time and racking up a bunch of loans for no reason, Push against grades coercing you to write in a way that your professor will deem appropriate and find out how you want to write in a way that is expressive and representative of who you are in your very unique, very relevant, very necessary voice. Do not let grades intimidate you into losing yourself. And when you give yourself more time, you can do the thing that you do of, let me do this first draft. Let me sit away from it. Okay, let me go back. What do I really want to say? And is this how I want to say it? Do I want to use the word? If if I'm Black, I mean, I am Black. (laughs) Do I really want (laughs) to use B in the way that it functions in African-American English? And if I do, how can I do that and show my reader who may not be Black how this using the word B in this 
way actually adds a really important layer, a very unique layer of understanding to this argument, right? That code meshing, Rashanti Young, right? That takes time. Rashawn Shanti Young, that takes time. It takes courage. It takes courage as well, because a lot of what you're talking about is also prioritizing yourself, prioritizing yourself, your voice, your health in that process, and taking a step away from all the things that you have been told are the most important. Right. right? The grades. Right. Professor's reaction. Right. So there is something really courageous about saying that you're going to think about what you want to say and how you want to say it Mm -hmm. and take a little bit of ownership over that. Yes. You know, that's... But cannot it, be stressed enough. Right. But it translates to the world better. And yeah. if you if yes. you want to write in standard edited academic English for the rest of your life, then go for it and just write the way that you've been writing thus far. But if you don't want to communicate that way for the rest of your life, like I said a couple of weeks ago, writing is really the opportunity, college writing is really the opportunity for you to get that professional feedback on it the you the mm-hmm. feedback you get on a job might be i don't know like a pink slip or something you don't want that like do it now where the grades are what you're haggling um the feedback is what you're haggling as opposed to a salary so now is the time to to exercise those different things you see what i'm saying but again that takes time you may want to talk to a professor about code meshing that takes time. They do not want to talk to you about that three days before the assignment because they're looking you upside your head like, so are you saying they haven't begun writing yet? That's what they're thinking. <laughs> so exactly. You, you need to do it where you have time to do your draft, to think about, well, what are the moves that I want to make? Do I need to talk to a professor? Do I need to go to the writing center? Whatever. And then run it by the professor so they're not surprised. Although I will say African-American English is its own language. Right. So there is a way to introduce that uh, that that language into the paper in a way that shows it as a strength of you as a multilingual writer and not as a deficit of the reader that leaves them just confused. Right. So there's a way to introduce it as a strength the same way um, a Spanish speaking writer would introduce like, oh, in Spain, we have this we have this thing called siesta, whatever, (laughs) right? Like there's a way to introduce it in a way that shows it as a cultural strength that adds understanding to your argument and not just like, oh, I just want to throw this thing of siesta in here for no reason, right? So there is a way to introduce it as a strength of you as a writer. And that also takes time to do well. So what we're saying is be process-centered because good writing, the writing that you're going to be proud of later takes time. That's all. Tangent over. Yeah. So think about your process. <laughs> now, Meryl Streep, eat your heart out. That was a great tangent. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No, be process oriented. Think about and and take the time to figure out what works for you because you're not going to have it all figured out overnight. You're not going to have it figured out in your first year of college. Maybe mm-hmm. it's going to take experimentation and many conversations, conversations about your writing, but also conversations about what your writing process is like, what Mm. works for you, what doesn't, why do you always feel stressed out before a deadline, Mm. right? It doesn't have to be like that. You can, you can, there are as many different ways to write, you know, as there are genres of writing. So you can take the time to figure out what you need in your life instead of pounding out a paper a night before it's due, right? So you can center yourself in that process a lot more than than some people do. Um, and I guess that that leads me to sort of tangentially another um, 
one of these big sort of psychological things that is kind of in the background of all of this, we're talking about revising, we're talking about having, giving yourself the time and the space to write the way that you want to. Um, and Britt, you make such a great point about thinking about how to transfer the skills of writing and the values of writing into other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the big things I think that prevents people from doing this sort of experimentation is a combination of perfectionism and imposter syndrome, Mm. right? So if you feel like you don't belong right? That you're here, that you're in college, that you're in this class, whatever, because of a fluke or because, um, or that you're not really capable of writing at the level that your professor wants. Mm -hmm. And because you've been internalizing that kind of narrative, that's, that's a really insidious part of college life that a lot of people experience that feeling that I'm not really supposed to be here. And I, I'm not as smart as everybody around me. Mm -hmm. And that turns into this sort of paralysis of feeling like I can only turn something in that's completely perfect because it has to be doing work for me. It has to show that I have that I should be here. And so that combination between this desire to, to show that you deserve your space, but also feeling like maybe you actually don't, it creates complete paralysis a lot of the time. It's one of the main reasons that people just can't write. So... One of my sort of most important pieces of feedback to students who come into the writing center, for instance, saying, you know, my paper is due in a day and I just can't sit down and write. I can't write. And they're in a panic. One of my most important pieces of feedback for them is stop trying to write it, right? Go take a break, go outside, go for a walk. Because when you're in a panic like that and everything about you is focused on this one piece of writing that really probably doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. Your, your system, your value system is entirely out of whack. And if you can't take a breath and take care of yourself, right, then you start this cycle, this really negative cycle of all of creating the stress and anxiety around papers. So the best way to avoid this sort of the best, one of the best ways to avoid this sort of perfectionism is to give yourself permission to write. There's a there's something called the blank first draft, the not so good first draft. <laughs> oh, the crappy first draft. Um, thank you, the crappy first draft. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> by, so there's a whole article that you can go and, and look up. It's like three pages long. It's super accessible, very funny by Anne Lamott. Um, she doesn't say crappy, but crappy yeah. first draft. Um, but her advice is, to combat the sort of critical voices in your head is to give yourself permission to write a crappy first draft and say, this one's going to be bad. Nobody's going to read it but me. And then to come back to it later on and say, actually, no, this sentence is pretty good. I'm going to keep that and work off of that. But if you come into it thinking what I write, what I put on the page here has to be good, right? That responsibility that you put onto yourself to make every word perfect it's just, it creates this sort of miasma of negative energy. So give yourself permission to write the crappy first draft and give yourself permission to take time away from it, to put it away, give yourself space to come back to it. Um, and then the other part of that is as you're thinking about your, your writing process, 
My other tip is to try as hard as you can not to be inflexible, which means you don't have to start at the beginning of your paper. So a lot of people out there will think, what? Where else would you start? Um, (laughs) Right? You start at the beginning. The beginning is the beginning. You do not have to start at the beginning of your paper. If you are writing a... um, if you're writing a, a science report, right, and it has a bunch of different uh, completely separate elements, maybe there's one of those that you feel like you really understand. Maybe the results portion is something that you're like, yes, I know exactly what I, want, what I want to say in the results portion. Go and write that. Go and write that before anything else. Mm-hmm. If you're writing a literary English paper and you're supposed to be you know, doing a close reading of a poem and there's one line of that poem that really speaks to you, mm-hmm. take that one line and start writing about it, right? You do not need to start with your introduction. You do not need to start with Shakespeare was born in 1546, <laughs> right? So you can move around and take the time to kind of get yourself into the writing through something that feels comfortable, Right. So being flexible with where you start can be really, really useful for people who struggle to get started. And can I just say that part of that, a part of that also goes into centering yourself in the writing. Right. So I like I like how Lucy put together that it is process centered and it also centers you more. What do you want to get out of this? How do you want to flex your creative muscles? Right. So. For yeah. for not starting at the beginning, when you start the beginning with the intro with Shakespeare is born in 1546, that's very much about what you know your professor expects you to start the paper like. It's not about what you care about. But when you start at whatever you care about, then you've got to check at the end of it. But for now, you're just like, here's what really spoke to me. Them witches, mm-hmm. that bubble, bubble, tolentrilla, hey, that's my line. That line hits. Here's why. Exactly. Right. You know, like you, you start with the excitement and then you backtrack and you're like, okay, now let me translate this into the genre that I'm writing, which is the academic genre, which does not mean that you cannot code mesh and bring in other languages, various languages, multiple languages. That's not what it means, but the the structure of the conventions of the organization, right. You can cut that check at the end. Um, but definitely start where you're excited because your writing should center you. You're paying for this experience. You're either paying for it, someone is paying for it for you, or you worked hard enough to get it paid for. Regardless, it was your labor. So you deserve to get what you need out of it. If you're not finding some kernel of enjoyment, mm-hmm. then you know there are other conversations that need to happen. But if there's anything that you can do to make yourself enjoy the the, the content, right? The thing that you're writing about, that's where you have to start, yeah. you know? And the other part of that is you don't have to have your whole paper figured out, right? So if you're right, this, this may be less true in some of the STEM disciplines. Um, I'm speaking from a background, <laughs> um, but many writers, um, and again, I'm, I'm quoting that crappy first draft um, and Anne Lamott, many writers don't know what they're writing until they've written it. Right. And I'm I'm two chapters deep into a dissertation right now. And I have at least three times said, oh, this is what I'm writing about and emailed my advisor. And each time he rolls his eyes at me Um, because supposedly I knew what I was writing about six months ago. But the reality is you can start wherever you want and you can write about whatever you want. And once you have written a paragraph, a sentence, a page, three pages, you might realize, oh, 
this is actually what I want to write about. And it has nothing to do with what you originally thought, right? So you do not have to have it all figured out. You do not have to have it all mapped out in your head. You do not have to have it all mapped out on the page, on the paper. If outlining is something that helps you, go for it. Be crazy. Outline, outline your life away. I love it. But if that's something that feels restrictive and you want to get writing, you have the freedom to do whatever you want with that. Yeah, okay, so all of this um, conversation about not starting at the beginning, which is such an incredibly important tip, I think, comes out of this idea of being flexible with your writing. And the last thing that I think is really important to add into that is that a lot of writers, a lot of students, a lot of writers think that they have to have the, they have to have their thoughts mapped out. They have to know what they're going to say. And I love an outline. I really do. Um, But you don't need to know everything that you're going to say. And if that's one of the things that's keeping you from writing, if you're the type of person who likes to outline for six days, (laughs) you might consider experimenting and saying, I'm going to start writing without an outline, or I'm going to write, you know, a half page outline and set myself the the goal of beginning to write. Um, Conversely, if you're somebody who never uses an outline, maybe you might experiment with that a little bit, right? So you can, you can play around again, be flexible, play around with different strategies. Um, But it, it does, I think it is another one of those paralyzing habits. I think you have to know exactly what you're going to say before you start writing. Okay. So having a strong thesis statement, super important Sometimes, though, when you start writing, you really have a strong question. And sometimes it's that strong question that gets you into your writing, into your text, into your research, right? So sometimes that's where you need to begin instead of thinking that you have it all mapped out. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm two chapters into my own dissertation, and I have had at least three different aha moments where I've said, oh, I know what I'm writing about now. Um, And they're three very different things. Um, so that is a, that is a very natural <laughs> habit. It's a very natural, uh, phenomenon, I guess I should say that, yeah. that sometimes after you write, when you finish writing, you figure out what you're saying. And that's again, where the revision process comes in. That's where you get to go back and make it look like you knew all along what you were saying, but you would be surprised how many writers, um, don't know what they're saying until they have finished writing. Um, Okay, so that's on the the subject of inflexibility uh, and is related to that idea of paralysis from perfection, perfectionism, right? Um, One, my last, I think, really big tip and one that I really wish I could tell to everybody is, um, I'm going to say this very slowly, it is a myth that you have to suffer while you write. So there is this great mythology surrounding writing, right? That you do it alone and that you have to have the perfect ambiance and that you have to be stressed out before a deadline um, or suffering if you're writing poetry, right? That That there's something that has to be uncomfortable about the writing process. And that is completely ridiculous. So... So many people think that they have to write alone. This is the the big bee in my bonnet. Um, That they have to write alone, that it's an isolating process. Um, That's so silly. 
There are so many writing groups on every campus out there. And if there's no writing group on your campus, or if you're writing outside of the college bubble, there are coffee shops, right? Which is a a sort of a mitigation of being alone. And there are friends that you can write with, right? And there is something really strong about, there's something really powerful, I should say, about um, working through that internal process that really, that's the really isolating part, that internal process of your brain with somebody else next to you, all right? So some of you are probably familiar with the term um, body doubling, right? Which is when you use somebody else's presence, somebody else's physical presence to help you, to motivate you to, to, to work. And I've never heard. there's definitely that idea. Oh, you've never heard of body doubling? It's a, it's a great, so it's a phrase that means just, you know, if you have trouble sitting down and getting your work done, um, and it's a phrase that I know particularly from neurodivergent people and um, people with ADHD use this phrase and this sort of strategy to say, I, I, I have a lot of trouble working on my own, but if I have somebody sitting across from me, there is some physical benefit to having, to sharing space and to working together. Doesn't mean that you're, you know, working on your essay together, mm-hmm. but there's something about physically sharing space together, that companionship that actually has a really good benefit. Okay. So that for me has been incredible. It's been a huge change in my writing in the last couple of years is that I do almost all of my writing in the presence of other people now. Um, I find it really difficult to write alone. So some of that is that I get distracted. Some of it is that I get, I, I start to listen to those sort of critical voices in my head. Um, if I'm at home, it's just that I am like, ah, oh, you know what? I really can't work in this room. It's so dirty. I really need to rearrange all of my books and they really have to be, you know, alphabetical. Um, or, you know, if they've been alphabetical, actually they really need to be arranged by genre. Like there's always something. <laughs> and when I'm alone, there's nobody to stop me from doing that. So I work in a combination now of writing groups on campus, um, writing with my friends, writing with people um, sort of in a communal space like a coffee shop. I really, really object to being shut up in a room alone now. And I think that my writing has improved exponentially Mm. because my mood improves around other people. So if that's not true for you, if you're the type of person who, if you're around another other people for too long, you start to, you know, think about exit strategies, <laughs> this may not be the best tip for you. But there is some way for everybody to mitigate that sense of isolation. Right. Right. And the, the most important thing I would say is do not trick yourself into thinking that writing should be painful. Right. And that's the... All right. Writing is about communicating. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like, if you, you yeah. don't have to be writing with any, like, you just don't have to be sad while you're doing it is the point. Like, yeah, your community might not be in the room with you while you write. Heck, your community could be in, in across the country in different states if it's an online community. Yes. You know that you're going to mm-hmm. share your 1.5 draft with Shelly in Seattle or with Andrew in Arizona, mm-hmm. and that can be your community. And maybe y'all meet on Zoom to write and y'all say hi for five minutes yeah. in the beginning and the cameras are off and you're just writing and maybe you don't you write completely on you like it that way if you like it that way and you have your own ambiance set up that's not gloomy go yes. ahead 
We're just saying you needed exactly. to be bleeding out, missing an ear, Picasso style, Van Gogh, who, whoever did it. You don't have to be yes. mutilating yourself or martyring yourself. For the right. That's where we draw the line. <laughs> We're not doing that. Yeah. And if you look around you, you'll find that there are all sorts of very different, very diverse communities, different ways of doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can, there's lots of in-person stuff on college campuses, but there's also all sorts of writing discord channels for people who want to get together, not even do a Zoom check-in, but just have that sense of here are other people also working and that sense of camaraderie of saying, hey, good job. Like, glad you did some work today when it was so hard for you to get started, right? That sense of um, being validated in the difficult part is really, really important. And when you cut yourself off from everybody around you, you lose that sense of validation. So I think those are the big, those are the big psychological pieces of writing advice that I have, right? Don't do it alone. Don't get caught in that sense of perfection. Um, Don't listen to your inner critic saying that you're not supposed to be here and that you don't deserve a spot with everybody else. Um, And when it comes to the, the way that those sort of mindsets almost influence your writing, a lot of it comes down to this idea of um, coming back to, again, that idea of the revision process, right? If you give yourself the space and the time to make mistakes, to experiment, and then the time to come back and reread, that's when you'll find the little errors that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's also when you'll find the sort of the bigger things like organizations start to fit together, right? So if you give yourself that time to come back to revisit your writing, that's when you can start to think, do I have a clear thesis statement, right? Do I have an argument? Do I have something that I'm proving, right? Is it is it an articulated sentence or two? <laughs> and if I have that, which you should, do all of my different pieces of this paper fit together to prove that? Do they tie back? Or do I have one page where I go off on a total tangent that's really exciting but has nothing to do with the topic at hand? Because I do that a lot in my writing (laughs) and I would never catch it in the moment. I have to catch it in my revisions. Um, So that, that, that space that you give yourself by building healthy practices around writing, that is where you will find the draft that you're proud of instead of the draft that you are scrambling over, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's the thing you're happy you did instead of the thing you were resigned yeah. had to do. And that's what we're trying to push away from. College is too expensive for yeah. that. And your time is too precious for that. Even if you're here on a full ride, it's four years of your life. Please yeah. <laughs> do not be suffering. Please don't be suffering. No, we are not doing that. Yeah. We're in the year of our Lord, 2024. We are not doing that no more. We're not suffering through college. There's too much real, real, you know, difficulties, real anxieties, real mental health problems on campuses that come from all of these imposed ideas about what you should be doing and that can be at least mitigated by conversations mm-hmm. and by telling, by articulating really clearly that you should be putting yourself first in these situations, right? right? You should be taking care of yourself. And you have so many opportunities to learn how to do that in college, but it's it's really worth saying it out loud. You know, writing is a place where you can learn how to take care of yourself and you can learn how to center yourself. 
that's, you know, on the best day, that's what writing is. That, you know, that we may may need to have Lucy McInerney back to talk about how writing (laughs) can be a way that you take care of yourself, because that is something that we don't talk about enough. Writing is a place of anxiety for so many people. Mm -hmm. But it can really be a place where you take care of yourself. But we're not going to go there today. Today is a starter pack for your semester. <laughs> we're going to cut it off right there. Lucy, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today about common writing mistakes to avoid. Thank you for having me. This is this was a really fun conversation. And thank you for, for um, indulging my, my tangents about... <laughs> The psychological side of writing. I appreciate it. We love a tangent over here. Most of these episodes are tangents. We love a good tangent. (laughs) So you're most welcome. Uh, Writers, this is definitely an episode that you want to save and share. If you found this episode useful, please consider even rating and reviewing the podcast so that others will know it's a worthwhile resource. It doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time. Catch me on IG at College Writing Actually. Into Brown underscore Writing Center. Wait, brown underscore writing underscore center for weekly writing tips. All right, we're out of here, y'all. Right on.